Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Tech stocks have really been in focus. I recently spoke with uh, an analyst of tech stocks. Prime for a win-win despite recession risks, uh, a refrain that we're hearing often. I thought we'd focus specifically on chip making today and get the insight of one of our favorite commentators uh, when it comes to stocks in general. He is the man we call DT, Dividend Titan, Willie King, joining us live. How are you, DT? Hey, good morning, Michelle. Hey, I was just waiting for the book which you recommended on the National Library conversation just a few times back. So, <laughs> wow, maybe you should talk to someone. That's something which I'm just waiting for it, but I don't know why he hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get the hint. The book is on its way to you. Thanks for sharing with <laughs> listeners uh, that title, and uh, I'll be sure to get that to you. All right, Willie, chip making continues to be caught in the crosshairs of geopolitical tensions. The Wall Street Journal reporting that the U.S. federal government wants to add more restrictions to the exports of chips to China. Beijing says mm. it will limit gallium and germanium exports from August the 1st. Now, listeners, these export cons- controls are meant to protect Chinese national security. So you can see this as part of the tit-for-tat game. Uh, germanium and gallium as well are two niche metals that are so crucial to chip production. So, Willie, we love your view. Are chip makers under pressure as China and the U.S. jostle for technological dominance? Yeah, that's the thing, Michelle. I just don't understand, right? It's always like a tussle. It's like my older son and younger son is always fighting over the same car toys. And I have no idea why, but they just like to do this. And if you see how chip makers, if you see how, how, how chip makers are right now, um, yeah, it really depends on where you're looking at because chip makers, this term is so broad, you know. Uh, when you're talking about chip makers, they can actually be put into five big segments. You are talking about um, the foundries or the fabrications of okay. the semiconductor wafers. Mm-hmm. You have the CPU mobile processors where these chip makers, they design the computers or they power the CPU processors of these computers. You have the equipment manufacturers. Um, you have the GPU, graphic processing units, where they do graphic designs. And um, lastly, you have the memory, tri- memory chip makers uh, like your Micron, Samsung, so and so forth. And the focus here, like what you said on the, uh, the headline, is really on NVIDIA and AMD, where uh, right now, U.S. could actually restrict the artificial intelligence chips that's used for AI learning, uh, weapon development, and hacking. So this is really a bit different um, from the chips, uh, which I've mentioned, where they're mainly used for consumer electronics. So the mm-hmm. ones which could be affected are the ones where the high-end chip making where it's supposedly to be exported to China yeah. for weapon hacking, so in, uh, weapon development and hacking, so on and so forth, uh, that could be the one at risk. But on a broader scale, if you see consumer um, chip makers which sells uh, or develop um, chips and semiconductor wafers to consumer electronics, you know, uh, chips for, let's say, Apple products mm-hmm. or Intel or you know, some of your Android smartphones, those are the ones which would continue to actually be put in in production because those are not considered really the high-end kind of chips. So those are the ones where I'll, I'll be more um, interested in, whereas the ones where they're under pressure are probably the more high-end chips. Great to have that distinction. You know, really great for you to finesse that distinction for us. You mentioned NVIDIA and AMD, and I'm wondering, since these are quite common names that we do talk about on this show quite a bit, what is your take on the year-to-date performance? Maybe we could start with NVIDIA. 
Yeah, I mean, if you see... I mean, if you see NVIDIA, it has been on a huge run. I mean, ever since last year, it has been, uh, you know, it, shares actually went up more than doubled. And, and that was really because of the graphics processing unit, uh, the GPU or its capabilities, uh, which were, was able to actually contribute to the whole theme of artificial intelligence. So that's the same for AMD as well. And both of these companies, you know, they dominate. Navina dominates about 80% of the graphics processing unit. So they do graphics design, the 3D graphics, and more importantly is the machine learning. So when everyone is talking about artificial uh, intelligence, mm-hmm. they're talking about AI chips, that's when Navina really comes into play. I mean, this is you know billions of billions of dollars of revenues which we are talking about here. You know, some say NVIDIA is sized for a pullback. Uh, they were looking at their, I think, uh, recent losses, a large gap in their earnings report. As an investor, if you take a long-term view in this in this uh, particular sector, and if you look at NVIDIA particularly, does this is this something that stands out for you? Mm. I remember, Michelle, clearly one of your conversations you had, you know, back in 2019, where you actually spoke with the founder of Mr. Ho Kwon King of Banyan Tree, and I remember in that conversation, he said something that struck me really clearly. So he said that if you're going to make an investment that's speculative, make sure that's cheap so that if you go wrong, you don't lose too much. So if we see, right, for NVIDIA and AMD, they are trading roughly around between 200 to 500 times price to earnings ratio, which means for an investor, you need at least you know, 200 to 500 years Wow. For the company making the same amount of profits today, wow. in order to break even the investment which you would make on buying the shares today. So I don't know, you know, um, long term, I think the business is going to do well because mm. we are really moving into the whole stage, uh, you know, the whole tech revolution of going into, you know, your AI computing. You know, you have uh, ChatGPT, for example. But I don't know whether that's a reasonable price for me to pay today, Michelle. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I mean, you know, setting it in scale and perspective for us in terms of how all in or all out you're going to have to be if you're looking <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. Two positions. Yeah, I mean, I... I I, I always feel that the, you know, the stock market really serves sort of like a relocation center where money moves you know, back and forth from the active to the patient. And it seems like where NVIDIA and AMD is trading now, it seems like a, there are a lot of very impatient investors waiting for things to happen. Right. Right, that is fascinating. All right, we're going to take a break from the chip stocks and I'm going to cruise on down to cruise stocks. I remember during... It was during COVID, the first year, I had a guest on and he was so optimistic about Carnival's performance. Mm. And Carnival then was really in the gutter. And look (laughs) at what we're talking about today. Are cruise stocks worth looking at even if a soft reset? Okay, so first I have to ask you, do you think a soft recession in the US is likely to pan out? And if that happens, do you think cruise stocks are still worth looking at? Yeah, I mean, I... It's very hard to say, and I'm going with the view of some of the economists and academics saying that, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, you know, knowing whether it's a soft recession or a hard landing or what's really going to happen. Mm. But what I do know is that if we're looking at strong businesses where they, you know, they are still able to survive, you know, whether there's, you know, crisis after crisis where people are still looking at their services, their products, I think those are the companies or the stocks which are really worth looking at. And if we look at some of the cool stocks today, I mean, if we had this conversation in the 1990s today, Michelle, 
I would say buy the cruise stocks oh. back in the 1990s. <laughs> and I would have said thank you. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. And, I mean, I have a good reason for that. I mean, it's not really on a 2020 hindsight mm-hmm. here. Uh, but really, if you see, um, let's say, for instance, the world's largest um, cruise business today, which is Carnival. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is the world's, uh, uh, um, you know, Carnival, it's, it's the world, world's biggest cruise operator today. And the reason why it can, you know, back in the 1990s, where it can actually survive uh, some of the crisis, you know, mm. the dot crash, you have the SARS, September 11, and then the global financial crisis is really because it was actually at a much healthier financial position last time, about 15, 20 years ago, versus where it is today. Because surprisingly, because when the pandemic hit, Mm. what happened to all these cruise businesses is that they had to take on a large portion of debt. So they had to borrow a lot of money in order to survive because overnight, the the, the entire operation or the entire sector just came to a standstill. So this was very different from the past cycles which we have seen. I mean, if you tell me, you know, in the 1990s, when Carnival and even Norwegian, you know, it fell by, you know, more than 40 to 50 percent in their shares. But you see that their uh, profits, their free cash flow had continued to remain very steady. Now, if we fast forward back to today, what we are seeing now is a very different picture. You know, we see Carnival and Norwegian, for example, taking on a lot of debt. Um, you know, the debt to equity ratio, for example, Carnival is, you know, at least three, four times. And that's a great flag for me when I'm looking at some of the investments or some of the businesses today, because especially when, you know, we have central banks all over the, all over the world, they're still aggressively raising interest rates. That means that some of these cruise operators might have to actually pay out more interest payments mm. out of their own pockets because they are not really making a lot of profits. Um, for the last four years, uh, if you see the top cruise operators, they were still generating what I call a negative free cash flow, meaning that um, they were still actually paying out a large amount of money to maintain the operations of the business. But they're not receiving the required cash flow, the operating cash flow coming in to sustain the business itself. So what this means is that they're holding on a lot more debt today than they were before 20 years ago. So they have to actually service more of this interest payment, which means that they would have to actually refinance. They would actually actually have to borrow more money if they cannot recover their profits in time. So there is actually a big difference today. You know, when you borrow, you know, they, they are borrowing debt and they have negative free cash flow. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I would totally stay away from cruise stocks or the cruise sector because I like looking at some of these entertainment stocks. I like looking at some of these uh, leisure stocks because... Like, you know, your question rightly points out that it's very interesting to look at these businesses, entertainment businesses, because whether there's a recession or not, you know, people would still like, you know, to spend their dollars on leisure and entertainment. So where we'll be looking out for are companies where they have cruise operations, but at the same time, they have other business segments Mm. to sort of diversify away from these sectors. So one of them, for example, is the Walt Disney Company, where they have their own you know, cruise operations. But at the same time, they have their own theme parks, they have their own intellectual property, their own brand. 
and the Mickey Mouse brand is, you know, is still widely known. So that's something which I will be looking at. And that's how to think through cruise stocks. Fantastic. Listen, Willie, this morning, Tokyo is the worst performing APEC market. Uh, investors continuing to take profits there. The Nikkei was down 1.3% in early morning trade this Thursday. But if we take a step back, the Tokyo stock market seems to be roaring after more than three decades of silence. The Nikkei 2 to 5 topics, they've been continuing to climb. They breached 33-year highs late May. Goldman Sachs came out with the view that Japanese stocks could see a prolonged advance over the medium term. I talked to someone from Pictay Wealth Management recently and he echoed that view. Help us understand why investors and analysts seem so enthusiastic over Japan? Yeah, I mean, I would tell the analysts, no, please don't ride on this enthusiasm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the market is really like a pendulum, right? So it swings, you know, very frequently between being optimistic and that makes stocks very expensive. And then on, it swings on to the other side where there's a lot of pessimism where it makes all these stocks very cheap. And where I want to be buying is actually when stocks or businesses, when they're looking very pessimistic. So in this case, you know, when you have uh, some of the analysts um, and some of what some of these Wall Street guys are saying is that, hey, the market right now is going towards optimism and that's where we should be looking at. But at the same time, you're also looking at where stocks are really so expensive, right? And what's really driving the stock market for, for the Tokyo stock market is really a lot um, in, in recent months. It's mm. really a lot of the semiconductor companies, the industry and the whole technology sector. So that's where the enthusiasm really lies. And that's where I want to be more careful. Now, in terms of the pendulum swinging in the Tokyo stock market, where I want to be looking at instead is to be looking at some of the more boring businesses. So the things or the businesses where people don't find too much enthusiasm, but at the same time, you know, like I've mentioned earlier with some of these cruise operations is that people are still willing to actually buy companies um, where they still have their daily essential products, their services, you know, people still take, for example, transport. Um, they still buy food in Japan. So that's where I want to be looking at. Okay, so you're not jumping on the bandwagon. We're seeing these huge foreign inflows, some saying diverting from, from China, investors looking to Japan. So some saying it's just a rotation of funds, really. $31.8 billion. That's how much foreigners put into Japanese equities up to June 2nd. But you say there are more attractive opportunities elsewhere? In Japan. So, I, so what, what I'm saying is that there are opportunities still in Japan, but I won't be looking at the ones where you know, shares have actually rallied so much, you know, mm. like technology stocks or semiconductor stocks. So those are the ones where I will be a bit more careful. But uh. in Japan, where I will be looking at will be like, you know, the transport companies, food companies, and, you know, things where they sell fashion and apparel. So those are the ones where I'll be looking at. Say, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you have Kyushu Railway Company. So okay. this is actually one of the largest um, transport companies in Japan. And they are the ones which are the seven constituent companies of Japan, of the Japan Railway Group. And they have been around since the 1980s. You know, and in Japan, if you travel across Japan, you still take some of this railway. And they are also generating profits and cash flow. So that's one way which I'll be looking at, which is away from the technology sector or the semiconductor, uh, semiconductor sector. Another one would be one which we would probably be familiar with, which a company which owns uh, Muji, 
in Singapore. Oh. So the one where they do, you know, a lot of um, minimalist kind of designs. I'm not sure whether you Japandi? shop in that is that the phrase? <laughs> I see that everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, like the kind of um, great designs where people love to actually buy, you know, into the concept of minimalism. Yeah. And that, and that brand is actually owned by this company called Ryohin Kekaku. So the ticker is 7453. And they are also one of the largest um, uh, fashion and apparel companies in Japan. And that's the thing which I'll, be, which, which I'll be looking at because, number one, it seems really boring on the outside mm. because, you know, there isn't really much enthusiasm. People don't really talk about such businesses, but they still shop at it. You know, they go to shopping malls, um, they walk into some of these Muji shops, and they still, you know, find stuff which they like to buy. And whether that, again, you know, whether there's a soft recession or a hard landing across the world or even in Japan, people would still like to actually spend their money on this. And especially when we are coming out the COVID pandemic and when things are recovering, I think there's, you know, room for revenge spending, especially in Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant perspective. Ryohin Keikaku, look at it. I think 1,381 Japanese yen, down 1.39% today. So very interesting uh, to look away from tech and to look specifically at these sorts of companies and fantastic reasoning behind that. I already want to listen to your replay, I have to say, <laughs> really. <laughs> I always love talking to you, Michelle. You always bring that smile across my face. What a great show. I appreciate it. His site yeah. is Dividend Titan. He is Willie King, the man behind it. Willie, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Michelle. You've been listening to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.